Cuomo suffered a really devastating, devastating defeat yeah. this week. Yeah. What happened? Okay, so I don't know if, how many New Yorkers, uh, and when I say New Yorkers, I'm inclusive to everyone in the state of New York, not just the city. Damn right. Um, uh, Representation it, is really important. <laughs> Uh, they they might have seen that uh, you could vote on the next um, license plate, and it was mandatory that you replace your license plate if it, your car was older than ten years old. If your plate was older plate than ten was years, yeah, ten years old. Really? Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, they how just, can they tell? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. a good question. Well, I guess they have records of when you got your license. Well, plate. the purpose of the replacements was that the uh, the replacements was that the last round of license plates apparently is like subpar quality, and they haven't lasted as well as um, maybe I guess Cuomo would have liked. Oh, I think they were. It turns also, out that when you like, they were also supposed to. Um, they were also supposed to work for uh, uh, toll booths, right? Like you were, uh, it was some sort of new technology that, oh, like a uh, chip like or some something? kind yeah, of infrared reading system that yeah. doesn't work very well for the current ones that we have, which are like blue and yellow. And oh, the, the infrared like reading. Yeah, because I know I know that every cop car that I pass, um, uh, you know, I ride a bicycle, but like every cop car I, I pass has he rides one of those, his bicycle very fast. Uh, <laughs> one of those cameras that's like looking sort of uh, behind it. Like on the it, hood, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Either on the hood or like on the the back of the trunk or something, and uh, at an angle so that they basically drive by real slow uh, in all the parking lots, like at my workplace and stuff. Um, basically, just looking to see if somebody you know has a warrant out or if the car. I have no idea what exactly they're they're doing, but like that's the primary thing that they you know, seem just to do. Fun surveillance state stuff. Yeah, yeah, just but, hanging out. So it probably has something to do with the vision uh, uh, system, the automated vision system. Yeah. 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 I think that's part of it. And also, like, they just don't, like, they get scraped up and they don't last as long as, I, I don't know. I've just seen people on Reddit, like, New Yorkers on Reddit bitching about how the license plates don't. This could also just be, like, old man shouts at the sky, the license plates don't last as long as they used to. Yeah. The forced um, labor that, that was made, that they were made in prisons with before was so much better than the forced labor that they're made in prisons with now. Yeah. So, and so this is, like, part of the. Millennial so, prisoners. God. <laughs> So cool. not, not not funny part is that we are the most incarcerated generation of the, of America ever. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Woo! Um, Millennials are killing freedom. <laughs> <laughs> so these license plates, uh, apparently, the legislature like years ago set the maximum fee for a new license plate at twenty five dollars. And Cuomo wanted to charge everybody this twenty five dollar fee. So there was like a lot of back and forth where like legislators were accusing Cuomo of kind of like pulling a cash grab on New Yorkers by wanting them all to replace these license plates. And his retort was, well, you guys set the fee at $25. You could make the fee whatever you want to, just like you can change, you know, anything in the tax code. You can change all of this stuff. And they were like, yeah, but the legislation says that the max fee is $25. You, governor, could make the fee whatever you wanted to. You can make it $5 if you wanted. But... One of the fucked up things is that it costs the state $1 to manufacture each license plate because they use forced labor from the like state penitentiary system. So just the fact that it's like one, I don't know, man, something so about 24 that. of every uh, $25 that everybody has to do in this re-up is going toward the prison industrial complex and like modern day slavery. 
And Cuomo's Coke, because he's right. got a massive cocaine habit. <laughs> really? Oh, definitely. Allegedly. 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 Yeah. Allegedly. Okay, but so so it, the story keeps getting better though. Yes. Right? <laughs> so so the 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 um you go to the website and vote on your new license plate. Uh, you know, one of the more meaningful ways that you can vote. I voted. Did you? I did actually. Nice. Uh, and, and so the the idea though, so if you look at these, the, there's five options. Four of the five, or sorry, three of the five options have the Statue of Liberty on them. Nice. And then there's a fourth one that has a Statue of Liberty, and then like a bunch of other what um, Caroline Nagy, our, our first uh, guest and the person who suggested that we cover this, thank you, uh, called clip art. It's just like <laughs> clip arts of like different sorts of upstate New York. It's actually Niagara things. Falls is one of the things. Yeah, there. yeah. It's like um, Niagara Falls. And then Falls. there's a couple other things. Yeah. There's like a skyline of something. I don't know. It's whatever. Uh, and but then there's the fifth one that looks very different from all the other ones. That is of the Mario Cuomo Bridge. Oh, really? Yeah, it's his daddy's bridge. That <laughs> nice. is in no way a New York State landmark. Yeah, not it an icon. Not an icon. It is not particularly pretty. So the so the so what Republican legislators in the state of New York are calling plate gate, yes, plate okay. gate. Yep. Are basically arguing that he tried to split the vote with all these Statue of Liberty plates so that he could get his daddy's bridge on every car in New York State. But the winning vote was the clip art one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and I, my theory... And, my the theory... bridge was uh, tied for last place with one of the other Statue of Liberty plates. Yeah. Huh. My theory, though, is that only cranky uh, secede from the city uh, cranks in upstate voted for this thing. Yeah, like me. Yeah, and me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, is it and... at least good clip art? No, it's it's dumb. It's ugly looking. It's fine. It's, so not, ugly. it's it's a license plate. It's All license ugly plates license are ugly. Plate. You guys have to own this though, because I'm going to be looking like at, you know these in traffic for the next what ten years. Well, well no, no, you're so. not. So his bridge didn't win. His dad's bridge didn't win, so he canceled the whole thing. Oh wow, oh, man. Yeah, these hardworking politicians, you know, do, doing the, uh, the the work for the people. Yeah. I just imagine like there is like some overworked intern or or uh, IT person that was like, "You have to make five license plates right now." I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "Just do it," and then and then also make a voting system for it. It's like, "Shit, okay, uh, whatever." And then like they do it, and all this happens, and it was for nothing, you know. That's well, probably the trials and tribulations of working for the state. Yeah. Wow. Eighty percent of your labor comes to naught. Yeah. Oh, wow. <sighs> so no new license plate. No new license apparently. plate. I'm a little bummed because I don't particularly like the blue and gold plates. But we still have to pay the $25 fee. No. No? No, oh. because there's no new license plates. Oh, Dump interesting. Whole thing. Interesting. And here's the other thing is that like, as it, as it is now, you have to pay that fee if your license plate becomes illegible and you need a new one. But what Cuomo mm. wanted to do was force everybody with a plate over 10 years old to get a new one. Is this like a fix-it ticket? Like the degree of illegibility will be, you know, decided by whatever, you know... Presumably, yes. Like It'll just be when a cop tells you that, huh. you know, you're too black. I mean, that he can't see your license plate. <laughs> All of a sudden, cops have a, a bunch of sandpaper in their car, and they just like, walk up to you and just like, <laughs> start rubbing the license plate. Like, oh, yeah, your license plate doesn't look so good. 
Yeah. Uh, or they just rear end you. Yeah. Uh, or be like, like you, yeah. you stop short, and also uh, your license plate is <laughs> replacing. And while I'm at it, I think I smell some scented vapor. <laughs> oh my god! So do so. Uh, we have to talk about this too, yeah, right? Cause, yeah. Vapors unite. Because, like, if Daddy Trump and Daddy Cuomo are teaming up to take away my sweet, sweet flavored vapes. Fascism like, has come to the United States. It's like my two daddies are are like turning against me, and I don't know. I mean, it's really, um, really. I think I saw somebody say this on Reddit earlier, but it's like, what's disturbing about this vape thing is um, not that they might get rid of vapes, but that it gives you a peek into how, like, effective the government could be at solving real problems. Uh, but instead they focus that energy into like license plates and flavored vapes in the sense of unanimously, just like passing legislation quickly and like enforcing it. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, or like building a groundswell of support for doing something like taking quick, decisive action on a serious problem that we all face. The thing that, that blew my mind was like, not one person has died or been hospitalized from like an e-cigarette. It's all from these like black market vape cartridges for weed. Well, that is believed to be the case. But part of the problem is that a lot of these folks, surprise, surprise, aren't super forthcoming with fessing up to the fact that they're using black market THC cartridges. Oh, yeah, sure. But, but it I is mean, believed that that is, that is the cause. Yeah, but I mean, you, you, you could very quickly suss that out in terms I mean, of yeah, like yeah. the amount, the, and it's not even a lot of people, um, you know, getting... A, I think it's been like eight people or something. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. I've, that, that's, that's, you know, sad. Like, well, it's for, terrifying for sure, yeah. that like to, for it to be so acute, you know, it's one thing people are comparing it a lot to like, well, how many smokers die? But that's like a different thing because, you know, smokers die after years of smoking from like long protracted illnesses, whereas these are people who had very acute, sudden and illnesses is, and then they died. Yeah. Is this popcorn lung? Like, no, is this isn't popcorn different? lung. Popcorn lung is something different. Um, it's like a type but, of pneumonia people are developing from. I guess so. Yeah, some kind of like it's just like acute respiratory distress. That, pulmonary. Yeah, pulmonary illness. illness yeah, I, I remember reading something about how it was adult, like stuff adulterated with vitamin E. Yeah, vitamin E acetate. I, yeah, I, yeah, I heard that as well. And like, obviously, the solution there is just like allow for the widespread and affordable distribution of like oil carts that aren't that way. Like right. maybe you know where you can have small independent vendors like you know dealing them like but above board radical idea that yeah you... i mean it's like finding out the aspirin supply was tainted and so nobody gets ibuprofen anymore like do you, that's the do you know about the aspirin of... murders oh my god what oh my god you yeah. guys no i yeah, that that's why we have all that tamper proof yeah well, that happened years and, yeah, yeah from like yeah, years yeah, and years ago yeah, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, like i've never heard of the aspirin the, murders like and... banning flavored vapes is the equivalent of saying like aspirin has been tainted so no more ibuprofen mm, because it's mm. just like you're just you're going after something that kind of sounds the same to you but mm-hmm. is not actually a causal factor and yeah i had never actually heard about the aspirin murders until like i listened to like stuff you should know podcast or something on it and it was incredibly interesting like the the whole um uh the what was it tylenol was the company i think that that uh had the aspirin no, but, I don't know. Anyway, Johnson um, and Johnson, maybe. Like, oh, I think it was Johnson. And yeah, Johnson. Anyway, sounds... yeah, that's like a one and a quarter shot of anything in the grocery <laughs> store. But but it's like Unilever, Johnson, Johnson, Kraft. You know, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but but the um, the manufacturer of uh, aspirin at the time, um, like, had a uh, like a crazy 
um, quick reaction. And it's like textbook, like um, uh, media uh, propaganda, what do they call it? Public relations, like on how to resolve this issue and rebuild trust in an institution when people are like fundamentally super freaked out by it. Um, so yeah. And now know. everything's got little plastic rings around it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, know. it's good. Like, yeah, it's, it's good. Probably keeps it but... fresher too. Nice, fresh aspirin. But it used to be that like, you'd be able to just go into a drugstore and you'd open a, a, a like a box. There'd be, you know, a, a capsule, uh, that you could just pull apart and like tamper with and like put back to it in the, the original packaging and put it right back on the box and no one would. Know. Yeah. The good old days. <laughs> You just like open up a box in the aisle and just like shove a bunch of Tylenol in your head and just and then put it back and then you get free Tylenol. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess you're right. <laughs> I think that uh, if we were to go, you know, uh, very... <laughs> I don't want to have to shoplift the entire thing. I just want one right now. I just want to be able to take one Tylenol right now. The equivalent of like a Lucy, like just yeah. like a loose bottle of Tylenol by the door with like a string attached to it. Which, to be honest, like, why did, like, yes, it's also uh, so that people aren't afraid to buy Tylenol, but also this is inventory control. Mm. Right? Mm. It's, it really is so that some people can't do that. Like, that is another benefit mm. uh, to that sort of thing is, uh, is, is that no one gets Lucy's. Yeah. But no one ever uh, found the murderer. Like, I think, like, 13 people or something like that died of, like, cyanide poisoning um, associated with uh, taking these pills. And still an unsolved mystery. Nobody wow. knows who who did it or why. That's spooky. Yeah. Unsolved mysteries music. Now, we all know you love trains, David. Fact. Um, but you've recently had the opportunity to write about your love for trains, right? Also fact. Why are trains so good, David? Give me one good reason why I should give a shit about trains. Uh, the good, there's good no, food No, give me three good reasons. <laughs> uh, uh, th- three good reasons. Like, one, good for the environment. Like, pretty much, like, bar none, you're not getting better, like, mileage per passenger. Or anything uh two it sometimes it makes you sit with strangers in a way that is dignified unlike an airplane where like mm. you're all crammed in together but you know like sometimes you have to sit next to someone that you wouldn't otherwise know sometimes that sucks but sometimes that's a that you know provides a lot of serendipity and three uh, it encourages a uh, sustainable and less car centric building because when you build around transit you know you usually build a little bit denser but not so dense that it is hard to uh, build the trains in the first place. That's, nice. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. You pulled that good. off really well. Yeah. I really put you on the spot and you I knocked keep, it out of the I park. Could, I could keep going. Really. I love trains so much. And so what is They're the central... They're great toys. They're also really good toys. Yeah. Uh, like a little model train. They're fun. So, so uh, I, I can get a little geeky with my uh, engineering expertise real quick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell um, So the... Trains are massive, right? They're like way bigger and heavier than cars uh, in the sense of, uh, but this, like you were saying, leads to like a very dignified experience because you can stand up and walk around and you can go to the restroom whenever you want. You you can have cars with actual tables and like you can have diner cars and you can have all this stuff. But the reason that they're actually so much more efficient has to do with the fact that 
the vast majority of energy that goes into moving, say, a car or a train has to do with um, the pressure and friction from wind. And whenever you have a body moving through air uh, very quickly, um, you have a pressure uh, wave in the front and a vacuum zone right behind because, you know, you're, you're just physically pushing through this air and the air has to get out of your way and then fill in the back. But when you take two cars, hypothetically, and you put them very close to one another, it eliminates entirely the pressure zone in front of the second car and it eliminates entirely the vacuum zone behind the front car. So two cars, if you were to draft, uh, will actually go faster than either of the cars individually. And you can notice this especially on a bicycle. So when we would go uh, on bicycle tours and we really had to make time for whatever reason, like, you know, the the sun was going to set, we needed to get to our campsite uh, and set up before it got dark. Uh, we would get into a draft line and it's amazing because like you will be pedaling, um, at, even at the, in the front, which is the hardest, you know, you're breaking the wind. Um, it, you'll suddenly accelerate when somebody comes up behind you because they eliminate your vacuum zone. And so when you have all these train cars, um, a, arranged in such a way, they all have the same profile. So they create like this very, uh, you know, energy efficient way of, moving a gigantic amount of mass um and then you don't have to do the stop and go so you're not constantly accelerating and then putting that energy into the friction of the heat uh which you use to break and um yeah and then you just have incredibly smooth straight lines on the rails and you can make those rails uh take the most efficient path um in terms of not going up and down hills which Mm -hmm. you know has a little bit of ecological damage because you need to do some blasting and you need to do some clearing and everything else but once you uh, put those rails in, they can last, you know, for decades and, uh, you know, have a lot of happy passengers on big, comfortable transit system. Yeah, you know, one uh, bit of history about the, the engineering of, of trains, you mentioned like uh, 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 Phil and, and Dig sort of uh, move, moving of, you know, uh, getting the right of way, correct? So that, you know, the, the, the rails uh or you know don't don't have like too big of a of a climb or something like that in uh in the united states we didn't have a lot of labor but we had a lot of uh resources a lot of timber and and steel whereas in the uk the opposite was true they had a bunch of labor and uh not so much wood and steel and so um in the uk when uh uh if you have um uh, a train line coming up on a hill or or a mountain you would um there's no really mountains in the UK, but you know, like a, st- a steep hill or valley or something. Uh, you would just go straight through it because you have a bunch of people that can build it, that can like either you know drill through the the hill or or make the 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 uh, the bridge. But you don't have uh, very much uh, uh, resources to go around it. Whereas in the United States, you just go around that shit. Mm. So you have very different uh, sorts of riding styles. Like there are the ones in the UK are much more like linear because it was the most uh, resource efficient but the most labor intensive and in the UK in the United States it's the opposite hmm. but um uh i i uh wrote about why socialists love trains right because we talked about uh w- that it's dignified it's a more dignified form of transportation but that wasn't always the case and when trains first came on the scene you know they're all owned by robber barons right capitalists and uh, and they weren't dignified at all uh 
everyone from Karl Marx to you know Ayn Rand sort of agreed that trains were inherently capitalist. Uh, and yet today, they seem to be just obviously very socialist. Uh, everyone from Nathan J. Robinson from Current Affairs uh, to like George Will writing in Newsweek uh, agree that like socialists love trains, and they all, both of the both uh, Nathan J. Robinson and George Will say it has something to do with the communitarian, the forced communitarian aspects of them. Right, that y- you are literally all going to the same place at the same time together, uh, and you have to sit together and everything's pretty much the same for everyone everyone goes to the same car for dinner if it's overnight uh there aren't there's like one business class car but for the most part everyone is just in the same thing uh, and uh and so it, it seems very communitarian and it, it it is energy efficient so it's like those are two things that the left loves right but i i wanted to you know trace out how we got there from something that's obviously capitalist to something that's obviously socialist. And it's a really interesting path, right? Because first it starts with, you know, the, the usual hand-wringing of any technology or, you know, like legitimate criticism and concern that then also devolves into a lot of hand-wringing where, you know, the train is going to do all these things that uh, upend polite society, right? Mm. Uh, but they were, you know, so like you get these um, really fascinating uh, arguments against trains that sound a lot like the arguments against the internet. Uh, and I wrote about that a long time ago in 2014 uh, in uh, First Monday. But um, this, uh, you, you'll see stuff like everything from men, like young men uh, refusing to go in the same uh, rail car as single women uh, out of fear of fa- false rape accusations. <laughs> Uh, because they, they, wow. it was like these very Victorian people who were like, no, we can't be seen together unchaperoned. Well, you I know? think in the Victorian era, it's not Victorian era. Um, and keep in mind, the beginning and end of my knowledge of this comes from Downton Abbey. Okay. Which does not even actually take place in the Victorian era. I think it was less fear of false rape accusations than it was like the, like the impropriety, um, impropriety of it. That, like, yeah. The scandal would be implied that you were in a train car alone with a single woman. I don't know. Or maybe I'm totally wrong. And it actually is just like these Victorian ladies hollering rape left and right. Well, like is Mike it, well, Pence never entering a, a, a closed room with another woman <laughs> unless his wife was there. Right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Mother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, um, God. Uh, well, so, well, this is also mixed with a lot of uh, deep concerns, and this is like published in The Lancet, and and Karl Marx cites this stuff too. It's like very uh, good science at the time about like um, uh, the effects of vibrations on the human body, and like ah. whether or not. <laughs> yeah, we I can see... neither confirm nor deny <laughs> the effects of a good bumpy train ride on my human body. Yeah, yeah. They used to have a thing called the bicycle smile. <laughs> yes, they still do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So there, there is like all of that fear about like whether or not ladies be having a good time on the train, and like what this does to uh, you know, like the the the, the uterus. Does it travel around the body does in some wander? sort of hysteria? Yeah, it's like wandering, uh, uh, lady parts all over the all over the all over the train. They're just getting all over the place. Um, Wasn't so, that a concern with washing machines too when they first came out? It should have been. <laughs> it should still be. <laughs> I need to clean our washing machine. 
a, a quick anecdote on the vibrations. Um, they make this thing called the butt kicker, which is a solid state subwoofer, uh, which is to say that it doesn't have a cone. So the way a speaker ten- tends to work is that there's a magnetic transducer that you put an alternating uh, current through, and it moves a cone of paper, which produces the sounds that are in your ears right now. Um, and the, uh, the, the sounds are produced, uh, you know, with these layers of sinusoids on top of each other to create all the rich, complex sounds. So you can hear my voice or, or police siren or whatever, but it's all just vibration. And so they have this thing called the butt kicker, which instead of having a paper cone that moves air toward your ears, it actually couples to your chair or your seat or your car. Um, and it's a silent subwoofer in the sense that it actually shakes you. And so, um, it's got like a big mass in it. So the transducer just moves around this like big just, chunk of steel. I really wish you could all see the hand gestures. But I went to this, uh, class, uh, experimental media, uh, class with, um, I think it was Curtis Braun, um, uh, up at, uh, RPI. Um, and we had like, we were working on haptics and so we, we bought one of these things and we got like a 1600 watt amplifier and we set up a, uh, a board, uh, on vibration dampeners and then put a chair on it. And then we sat down on the, uh, the chair and we, we cranked, uh, with a, uh, sine wave generator, um, the frequency going from like very, very low all the way to like probably like 2000 Hertz. And we were searching for the Brown note because we wanted to see if this Uh. was like a real thing (laughs) and it's not, but there's really interesting things that happen to your body when you vibrate it in big amplitude uh, with a lot of power at very uh, specific uh, frequencies because you end up hitting resonances of various body parts. So if you try to talk, you'll end up hitting like resonance of your uh, lungs and it'll like sound really weird. Um, and then eventually you can hit the resonance of your eyeballs no thanks. and your eye, your whole vision gets all watery. It's very strange. <sighs> so that doesn't happen on trains necessarily <laughs> anymore, but <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, they were very bumpy though. Right. And there was, there was real concern about like, uh, um, spine compaction and like all these different things that happen when like you are, your body is being physically shake it a bunch you know, like that and, it, and at least like it's a good impulse to be like i wonder what does happen when you do that for a long time because uh the train was instantly seen as an industrial thing mm-hmm. right uh the first description of it is a steam engine mounted on wheels so it's it's always seen as a as a machine and to be associated with it is one deeply classed right so the the rich don't want to be associated with trains because machines are what they make poor people use to make things for mm. them right so um is that why they get called the conductor the engineer yeah yeah because, like yeah, they exactly. also used to have to like wrench on this like yeah cr- you know big blast furnace or right whatever. yeah yeah um and uh so so th- there's a lot of class anxiety around trains but then there's also the like well, do we really want to bring this industrial thing into like a residential neighborhood and stuff like that? And there were very real issues about like, you know, fires from the sparks that fly off from trains. That's actually how the great Troy fighter fire started oh, was really? um, a train spark hitting a wooden bridge that that and then the winds uh, pushed it onto the rest of the city. But um, and that happened pretty frequently. And, and it would it was actually a big reason for a lot of uh 
a lot of places to get like the wrong side of the tracks was that you had this big gap around the train tracks that was enough that you could have two different kinds of neighborhoods on the other side because there's so much buffer. Anyway. Um, wow. So are you going to apologize for the death and destruction that your beloved trains have wrought to our great <laughs> right. city of Troy, New York? Right. So that doesn't make any sense. That, like, why would the people love these death machines? These, these death machines. Like, they're, they're obviously like these in- terrible industrial things, right? And, uh, and Ayn Rand loves trains because they cause death. Right, like in in uh, man, she has some weird kinks. Yeah, so like in really At- weird kinks. It's so fucking weird. So in Atlas Shrugged, uh, I read. I didn't. I've never read Atlas Shrugged, but I read this Harper's article about Atlas Shrugged, where she, in no less than like three different places, um, people die in these absolutely horrific uh, train accidents uh, for reasons of uh, of not exercising enough greed or other people exercising greed correctly. Uh, and and there's like she'll just go like page after page of like all these different people. So it's, usually it's like good both ways as long as yeah. a lot of people die. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like you know like all these teachers and politicians like die these fiery deaths in trains because they decided that they had to go right now in order to either save someone or to like be seen by the their adoring crowds and stuff like that. And they just. Is this the uh, have anything to do with the the quote unquote trolley problem? Is this like, <laughs> a, uh, yeah, right. No, uh, no. I, th- I think. Well, yeah. He's like, you are in the trolley, and she just wants you to fucking die. Yeah, but uh, so so the 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 the, the train starts turning on a uh, into a uh, vehicle, quite literally for the masses. Um, uh, in the, around the turn of the. The middle of the 20th century, really, is uh, is only when that really starts happening for a couple reasons. You know, one, uh, we've closed the frontier uh, in the United States. So it's also it has beca- it has been a colonizing force that, you know, when we were building the Transcontinental Railroad, like uh, American Indians were like constantly bombarding it. Like you had to have twice as many like Civil War veterans like fighting people off. Then there were people actually building the train tracks like that. It was just constantly being fought that that had already happened. Um, people associate then it started associating the train with like getting out of the city and like getting your own piece of uh, white person land. Uh, uh, a lot of train companies would actually sell what were called exploration tickets where your ticket was bundled into the price of the land that you were um, going to go get. Oh, because because the, these a lot of these. uh Train companies were also real estate companies, so they just bundle it all together. Uh, and then there was a big change in the way politics started happening because because now that train prices, uh, train ticket prices were going down along with steamboat prices, uh, people could move a lot easier. And so this is when you start getting the first like big American political conventions. And Sarah H. Gordon in this uh, really great book called passage to union argues that uh we wouldn't we wouldn't even have jack jacksonian democracy like you wouldn't have these big populist nationalist movements without the train because you wouldn't be able to amass that many people into one place for a rally or something because everyone's so spread out in america unless you're in a handful of really big cities so the train was really instrumental in not only moving people into audiences but also moving individuals to different audiences right so uh, so the train becomes instrumental to American democracy because it lets people is it's a social media. It moves people around so that they can talk to each other. 
So the, the, now it's starting to get to be a little bit more of a of a public use sort of technology. And then also after the Civil War, you have the uh, the fact that no train track ever crossed the Mason-Dixon line. Th- that's how strict the separation was between the two economies of the North and South. Huh. That there was no train track intersecting the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, and so now that has started to happen. And that's also one of the main reasons why you have a bunch of things called union stations. Union stations were not only uh, stations where lots of different train companies would set up shop because uh, prior to that invention, you'd have like multiple train stations for different train uh, companies. And so obviously that, that wasn't very functional. So they'd create these big union stations, but it was also to say like the union as in the United States. Like, and these were sort of these nationalistic, let's all be a, co- a country together again sort of things so there's no confederacy stations right the yeah, there's no confederacy stations now no, uh yeah uh um uh so so there, there's all that all that is starting to happen and then like once um it's, it's really only after kennedy that a lot of the municipal streetcars start getting uh bought up by governments they were all private held before then but they're all starting to die because uh gm sabotaged them don't at me i believe that and uh <laughs> but uh, who framed roger rabbit is a documentary there's another <laughs> one uh, who killed yeah. the um the electric, electric car, car. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah 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 which, that's it right. covers yeah. Uh, the whole trolley uh destruction right yeah so um that's uh, uh so once uh they start getting into public receivership First, the 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 local urban rails, but then uh, during Nixon, Amtrak is formed, and Amtrak was supposed to be like the like hospice for passenger trains. So, like it, it was a way to take uh, all the passenger service away from these train companies, which were all which by then were doing all passenger and freight rail, and the passenger uh, side of the business was basically a loss leader. Uh, required by congress like you like the uh freight companies were required to also do some passenger rail mm. but then uh with the with amtrak they um consolidated all of it into this like government-owned corporation mm. that was supposed to just slowly wither and die but it was popular and it and actually i think in over the last like 10 years or so amtrak ridership has just gone up and up and up and up and up really yeah yeah it's 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 never been more popular since like its creation that's interesting i used to ride the amtrak a lot about 10 or more years ago when i was in college because i didn't have a car and i I lived or my family was from worcester uh and so the only way for me to get uh from my hometown to uh troy was uh either peter pan or to go with the train right and i remember that the train ride there sucked so much because it would stop whenever freight needed to go by because freight was so much more massive. So, you know, they would like... They always get priority. Yeah, always get priority. And so we'd pull off for like sometimes like an hour and a half waiting for like a train to to go by. Um, And I'd ask the conductor uh, or, you know, somebody at the dining car, whoever, some staff, I'd be like, I don't understand. My ticket said I was going to be there at five. It's 6.30. And they're like, oh yeah, it's always like this. And I was like, why don't you just... Say it's going to take me six hours to go a two and a half hour drive. And uh, when I was going, it was like very lightly attended. Like yeah. almost all of the, uh, the, the trips that I would take had about half occupancy, if, if that. So the, the Obama administration 
uh, part of the bailout or the you know the the subsequent recovery after the bailout was um something like 8.5 billion dollars into passenger rail uh mostly a high speed rail that never happened so uh, where would it go uh it it was just it was just never spent but i think some of it went into upgrading rail systems in the northeastern corridor so oh. it might be better now but well, it, i mean we take the train from the city to and from the city quite a bit and it's always very pleasant yeah. and yeah. quite economical in terms of time and cost yeah um only a, only a handful of times have i had like really significant delays most yeah. of the time it's it's always on time and and always packed yeah it is always it is always packed yeah the, i've been on the new york uh one going to penn station a couple times and i actually have to go uh there again uh this early october i'm going to go down for extinction rebellion so uh stay tuned for that i'll probably uh be bringing a zoom recorder and get a little bit of at least some bonus content if not some good anecdotes from that protest yeah so, so the the uh the last thing i'll say about it is like sort of the coda or the end of the essay is like what can we take from that history of like trains being obviously the quintessential capitalist technology and then sudden over a course of a century you know turning into the quintessentially socialist technology you know like how uh what could we learn something about that that would help us like start demanding better things from like amazon or walmart or uh microsoft like these new these, these companies that basically have the same position that the old uh, robber barons used to have, right? Where like they are, um, they don't make things necessarily. They they are the transportation and logistics hubs. They're the environment, <laughs> right? Yeah, they are the environment. And uh, and you know, and, and it, when you actually look at the history of American uh, oligarchy, it's not the production of things; it is the movement of things that really makes people rich, mm. right? So and the the only thing I could think of is that like you know like one we really do need to start thinking about like what would we want a publicly owned like Amazon to look and act like right because uh, and there I I start quoting the that really good book um, People's Republic of Walmart you know where they say that you can't just like nationalize it and then it's good right you there's like substantive changes that need to take place in it like you have hmm. to. You know, it, like Amazon workers are paid shit, right? So, like, yes. if you give everyone a not not just a minimum wage, but like a very good wage with a pension and a retirement plan, like, how do the numbers work out? And they get to go to the bathroom whenever they and want. they get to go to the bathroom. So, like, they you're want. gonna lose a lot of yeah. efficiency, and you're gonna spend a lot more. And yeah, yeah. So, like, all all of those things are obviously going to change. Uh, and it, more like the postal service, yeah, which is already you know doing a lot of the work of Amazon, right? Yeah, but you know, like, what are those fulfillment centers though? Mm -hmm. Like, well, like, how do those change? And you know, and part of it could be just be you know, like actually more automation, and and they're just like not you know, and it's just like get into that like full luxury gay space communism life, you know? Yeah, fully automated luxury gay space gay space communism. <laughs> yeah. Well, the essay is really really wonderful, David. I hope everybody reads it. Can you give us the title and where it's published one more time? Yeah, yeah. The, we'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. the The title of the of the piece is called Union Station, haha, uh -huh. uh, and it's in Real Life Magazine. It's part of my column called uh, uh, "Building to Code," which is just sort of like this Marxist humanist uh, project through different sorts of uh, city smart city stuff, like the internet and cities through the lens of Marxist humanism. Nice. Yeah.
I'm actually wearing a shirt today. For yeah, the, uh, yeah, Union occasion. Station, Worcester, Massachusetts. That's yeah. cool. We, we call this. Did you just, plan that? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Aww. Is that we, for me? We call this the uh, stormtroopers because um, the the you, you can sort oh, yeah, of see they do the, look like little the, the, the. This is a very white building and uh, okay. these like dome structure. Um, There's like know. two twin towers, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and they look like and, Too I, soon. and if they're white, they look like stormtroopers. Storm it's still September. Yeah. So Bernie Sanders said that billionaires shouldn't exist. He did. Fuck yeah. And I, time. Controversial take, but I agree with him. I agree with him, frankly. Yeah. I'm really interested to see uh, how somebody tries to make the, uh, the argument that they should. Like, I think that it's high time in 2019 to have a real debate around the moral uh, significance of whether or not individual human beings should be able to have captivated and controlled the wealth generated by our entire species well who's going to give us our gerbs if we don't have the billionaires i mean who do you think toils all day long in the jobs uh, manufacturing plants pushing the button jobs jobs jobs, jobs. jobs. (laughs) (laughs) that button doesn't push itself chris yeah yeah i uh by any means necessary man gotta get rid of the billionaires either take their money or or take Take something else. I won't say it. I won't say it. You can't. You can't prove anything. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Plausible uh, deniability. Yeah, but I. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, can you just like imagine the the arguments against uh, getting rid of billionaires, right? Like the argument for having billionaires, right, would be what? Like they, yeah, they're the job creators. Look like at all it's, the it's the, they do. It's the same lies that we've just like constantly heard, and now they well, kind of wanna, feel like lies. Well, you want to get rid of Oprah? Oprah shouldn't exist. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we. We shouldn't have um, Bill Gates giving out water to people, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess people are still moved by the idea that, like, well, if you cap uh, the most someone can make, then you are uh, making it uh, harder for people to get motivated, I guess, right? Is that, yeah, is that still I mean, an argument? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the argument that most, well, let's be generous and say that a political moderate who believes that it's okay for billionaires to exist, like their argument is going to be that like, A, it's not really um, appropriate for the government to decide how much money someone is allowed to have, right? That runs very counterintuitive to a like capitalist democratic notion of like liberty and, you know, the rights of individuals. And then the other kind of more free markety, uh, like efficiency argument you're going to get is a that they somehow managed to earn that money, which is at its heart a moral argument. Though I think most people who would make that argument wouldn't see it as such. And then you also have you know the yes this idea that like oh well who's going to put their neck on the line to invest in new technologies and development and industry if you know you tell them they can only make whatever. 99 million dollars but the, the like, vast majority of them are all invested in fossil fuels and like you know the most extractive and like lucrative industries you know of the last like several uh, you know 100 uh years yeah Sorry. but that that's <laughs> that that's a perfectly fine argument that's not going to convince anybody who doesn't already think that billionaires shouldn't exist yeah. you know because like anybody who is is on board for like the um, the yeeting of millionaires is already going to agree that like that's the one of the baseline problems with having them in the first place is that they thrive in very exploitative 
economic environs. Yeah. And, and I think that there is an argument to be made for, well, how are you going to incentivize the people who have all the money, you know, to invest it and try to continue to grow and, you know, do this, that and the third with it. And um, obviously other people will have that money. That money is not going away. It's just going to be taken from the hands of a small, you know, group of individuals that you can count with your fingers to, you know, a much more broad swath of people and or a democratically controlled institution. But I mean, another problem that exists with this argument is that in our global economy, there's nothing that the United States federal government can do to get rid of billionaires. Like, there's just nothing. Of course just... they can. I mean, I mean, well, oh, well, sorry. I mean, with offshoring wealth, like what, oh, you know, what well, in terms of capital flight? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem. That's why it's got to be like a global, you know, issue. It's got to be something that like, if you're going to have these nation states, and you're going to have individuals who are more powerful and wealthy, and like, have greater control over the trajectory of our species than nation states, which is what we have right now, like the top richest people in the planet already could buy dozens of countries. Right. You know, so if you're going to have all these nation states, like, their existence, uh, as well as, you know, the whole species existence is really uh, dependent on the whims of a small amount of people. And if they were all to unite, I don't know, in some type of united nations, potentially, uh, and then, you know, like pass uh, laws collectively and say, yeah, we're just going to go after them. I mean, you know, you look at the, the Panama Papers, nothing happened. Oof. Nothing That's happened. Not true. That's not true. What, what happened? A journalist died. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Journalist was murdered. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. But my point is, like, there there was public outrage. I'm sorry, RIP. That's not it. That's, that's yeah, no. It, it's very sad. Yeah. No, it, you, you laugh to keep from crying. But, like, um, yeah, it, it, we you have this out, massive public outrage. Everyone's saying, what a bunch of scummy fucks. Like, not only are these people, like, vacuuming up all of the this labor that, you know, and the value produced by that labor and the despoiling of our natural environment by, like, millions and millions of people for themselves, but they're not even, like, dealing with the, the, the explicit social contract that's made into our laws. So they, you know, offshore, they put in all these different things. And, like, unless we as a species unite to cap the wealth of these individuals and to take the wealth that's been produced and redistribute it for like, I don't think there's a way we can, you know, deal with any of the large scale problems that we have. Like, how are we going to deal with like the uh, greening of our economy or uh, trying to figure out how to deal with the massive amount of climate change damage that's going to be coming in the next hundred years? If we can't tax them, like the fact yeah. that like it seems like every national politician on the federal level, besides people like AOC and Bernie Sanders, have essentially decided, well, you just can't tax tax them. You know, they they just they just they're too they're too smart. They're just too, they're just too smart. You know, they they. they I, I, I I do wonder what like the uh like what the conversation is like when like a future president Bernie Sanders, you know, setting my intentions. Future President Bernie tell Sanders. Tell the universe what you want. Tell the yeah, universe. It's the yeah. secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Secret. You got your dream board. Yep. Uh, you know, when future President Bernie Sanders goes to, like, President, like, Xi Jinping, right? And you're like, President Jinping. <laughs> he, pro he probably pronounces it badly, right? Right? Yeah, but it's like, he, he goes to, like, uh, President of China or, or Brazil, right? Or even, like, you know, like some, some 
unelected bureaucrat of the European Union and says like Russia. <laughs> yeah. The Russia. U- Ukraine, maybe. Yeah. Oh. My friend communist <laughs> Mr. Putin. Yeah. You know, like what what do you like what what's the value exchange where like we're gonna get rid of our billionaires? Will you get rid of your billionaires? Are you talking about mutual disarmament of billionaires? Yeah, yeah. It it would really be like it would be like a salt treaty, right? It's Uh, how is this? That's actually really an interesting way to look at it. Like, is it? it, Would it be kind of like a a nuclear disarmament agreement? Right, because it, it it goes by the same sort of game theory problem. It seems like this. It's a it's a similar sort of game theory logic, like prisoners' dilemma sort of thing. Because because if one of you gets rid of it, then the other one stands to gain a lot through, like, being a tax haven. But that only really works when something is considered, like, you know, these are still democracies we're talking about, generally speaking. And you do have to have, like, a mass, uh, it kind of has to become, like, part of the national ideology that something is an existential threat for yeah. there to really be enough of a, and so you you i think first have to build like a rhetorical strategy in which billionaires are an existential threat to right. the survival and thriving of the human race and we are getting there but i do not believe that we are there yet i do not think that the average kind of man on the street or woman or person on the street sees billionaires as an existential threat to the continued existence of human life on this planet. I mean, you, you look at the um, uh, royal family in Saudi Arabia, and they're going to fuck around and start another war with Iran. And who knows how that's going to work out? You know, like that could be World War Three right there. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I saw this really weird ad on Instagram for uh, dandelion uh geothermal power which is a subsidiary of alphabet right oh, the, yeah the, yeah right? that shit was dark yeah and it's just like a, a ball of fire that says like don't let your heating costs be subject to foreign wars yeah i just cool. like normal dun, world dun, we've built yeah it's like, that's so normal like especially that's since like, like from the 70s you know yeah like, well it's also like alphabet you know which owns google right parent company to google like also sells like weapons guidance stuff like like that's like the whole, or like project maven or like or like for like chinese uh surveillance state stuff like like who the hell are you yeah it's to almost say like, like it's almost like marketing campaigns aren't grounded <laughs> in a coherent set of like yeah, right. moral beliefs and values but then, weird but then i again, thought they you the, said do no evil <laughs> but then again they have the best predictive ai so maybe we should you know t- take their advice yeah get some geothermal before we go into world war three I actually, and, uh, I, Alphabet, Google, Dandelion, if any of you guys want to advertise for Ironweeds, you just hit us up. Let us know. Yeah. We're, we'd be proud uh, proud to have your sponsorship. Yeah, slide in a couple of billion coffees. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I actually, while, while you guys were out and we were on break, I took a photo of the, of the table. Oh, and no. And posted it to our, our, our Twitter. Oh, you did? But, but it, it's got the polar seltzer in it. Hell yeah. It's also got munchos and beef jerky. We can't let people know what you, level of bros... Of- you are muncho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. This is what fuels us. Well, you know one billionaire whose days are not long? I mean millionaire. I mean man who definitely has a lot of money. Just don't ask him to prove it, but he has a lot of money, okay? So much money. So much money. Uh, Donald Trump, our, our, our big orange wet daddy. He's going down. Oh, yeah. I heard Nancy, Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi is uh, dropping the guillotine as we speak. Are we going to get cartoons of, like, buff Nancy Pelosi next? <laughs> is that... We already we got that. Isn't that what the Krasensteins did? Didn't they do that? Did they do Pelosi? They had, like, they a weird... 
Yeah. Uh, well, they're off Twitter. Oh. They got kicked off of Twitter for being, I guess, like even too scammy for Twitter. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think they yeah. were like uh, uh, follow farming or something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I think they, they part of that um, weird comic book or coloring book. I forgot what it was. It was like they had. Yeah, it had like a Buff a Moore. triangle yeah. torso shaped like. Well, uh, ha- uh, have you Nancy seen Pelosi. those guys with their, with their shirts off? No. Yeah, Google it. It's ridiculous. Okay. We're gonna do this in real time. <laughs> yeah, we definitely. Yeah, are. the Krasenstein brothers are. Uh, How do you spell Krasenstein? something else That's with a K, uh, right? in terms of uh, being uh, physical specimens? But thank you, Google, for auto filling Krasenstein brothers because I, I really just wouldn't know how to spell that. Did you Barack Google Obama. shirtless? Because yeah, you're going to need to put shirtless yeah, in there. David doesn't uh, know how to Google. Yeah, David does, you've got this the is safe an ongoing on, and that's no, your first. This is an mistake. ongoing problem in our in our marriage. Is that David doesn't know how to Google for what he wants. You're not going to just find random photos of shirtless Krasensteins without putting shirtless in the search terms. Babe. Okay, uh, well, maybe I don't want shirtless Krasenstein brothers. Oh, in you, my do. Search oh you do. This you've is got worse visibi- things in your search industry. visibility day was uh, yesterday. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm seeing it now. Uh, I still don't think if, if not my type. <laughs> Um, well, let me let me see this shit. They, oh, Look at They're they're so. Oh my, they're looking pretty good, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They must use themselves as inspiration when they're yeah yeah. Well, they, they're, they're, they're they probably just... like deadlift each other. Yeah, yeah, right? pretty much, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, all right. But that was they sent that picture out in response because someone was like, "Don't you think this is weird to put as a big buff shredded Muller daddy in this children's book?" And they're like, "What's wrong with big buff you know shirtless guys?" Like. I spend a lot of time around my kids, big buff and shirtless, and then they posted that picture. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we don't need to do that part. Anyway, we can decide to cut all of this if, if we want. No, but, I'm leaving uh, it in. Yeah, so Pelosi's going to finally take him down, you know, and that'll be that. I mean, she always gets, you know, the <laughs> legislative victories that she wants. She's really good at that. Yeah. Well, it's funny because this is all in response to Pelosi defending the uh electability hypothetically of joe biden (laughs) which is has been pointed out by many people a national gaslighting campaign being put on by the entire media establishment in the united states like it is clear to literally anybody who's paying attention that joseph biden has no idea what's going on yeah like he is in it's like weekend at Bernie's. They've they've got, you know, a hand up him and they're moving him around like a puppet. He literally has a melting brain and no one I, I don't think he's said a complete sentence that made sense in response to any question at, uh, during the entire last debate. I mean, everything he says is either sounds like a reasonably intelligent person could put it together, but it is meaningless or he's trying to say something meaningful but it sounds like like uh, the chat bots from way back, like in the aughts, Smart that child. you would, yeah, that would just like kind of say like like give you output. He's he's you know he has old man mush brain. But as a someone who grew up in Florida, I think it it's important to uh, tell everyone when you recognize it that uh, America right now is like hostage to basically a condo association war <laughs> it's just like the old just oldest like uh, uh brain melted people uh with petty grievances that ultimately have everything in common 
Yeah. Right. But they just hate each other. Yeah. And they're and they're and they're just screaming at each other and like hurting other people in the process. And that's that's all of our politics now is this waning. You've got to pick a side. It's the most important election of your lifetime. I just wanted to read a quick uh, response. So in during one of these questions during the last debate, he was asked, um, you said that some 40 years ago, but as you stand here tonight, what responsibility do you think Americans need to take to repair the legacy of slavery in our country? And this was his response. Well, they have to deal with the, look, there's institutional segregation in this country. And from the time I got involved, I started dealing with that. Redlining, banks, making sure we're in a position where, <laughs> look, <laughs> you talk about education. <laughs> I propose that we take the very poor schools, the Title I schools, triple the amount of money we spend from 15 to $45 billion a year. Give every single teacher a raise to the $60,000 level. Number two, make sure that we bring in to help the teachers deal with the problems that come from home. The problems that come from home. We have one school psychiatrist for 1,500 kids in America. That's crazy. The, the teachers are... I'm married to a teacher. My deceased wife is a teacher. We. They have every problem coming to them. Make sure that every child does, does in fact have three, four, five-year-olds go to school, not daycare, school. We bring social workers <laughs> into homes of parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not up to, it's not that they don't want to help. They don't want, they don't know quite what to do play the radio make sure television excuse me <laughs> make, make sure you have the record player on at night <laughs> the, record. the phone uh, his brain is time traveling let's it, also let's make, just make, recognize that he is right now saying that the real problem with the legacy of slavery is that black people don't know how to raise their kids yes. that is like and, and that somehow having the record player on or a television is going to suddenly like boost the you know grade point average of like or the financial outcomes or the you know the poverty uh, legacy in the neighborhoods and everything. And so does he ever get to three? Does he ever get to three? He said there are three. Well, things. I cut Chris off, so no, oh, okay. oh, oh no, 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 he doesn't. No, he never gets to no, three, right? There's but, just but, like but, but, two. And so he wants to send an army of state employees into the homes of Black Americans with children to make sure that they're hearing enough words. Yeah, like. Oh, but but Bernie has a problem with with black voters. And like, like, can and you imagine is... if if Bernie was this incoherent in response to literally anything? How quickly he would be ripped apart. And the exact same media that you know is saying Bernie's verging on the side of eugenics when he very minorly referenced uh, family planning as a potential issue to help with the um, growing population of the planet. They're the ones saying, oh, yeah, Biden killed tonight. Oh, he's so strong. He's going to he's going to beat Trump like a drum. It's like as melt brain as Donald Trump is, Donald Trump is going to cream this guy if Biden ends up being the front runner and actually winning the nomination. Like, there's no way Biden's going to beat Trump. Yeah, because Biden isn't as entertaining as Trump, right? It was like like Trump will be entertaining if crazy on the debate stage for mo for many people. He will at least be entertaining, whereas Joe Biden will just be disturbing and confusing, and will probably literally fall apart. Right? Well, like Trump has I significantly more support from Republicans than Biden has from Democrats. Yes, yes, like that significantly is more. Clearly true. Yeah. Uh, and and so I guess this brings us to to the issue at hand, where, where I, Nancy Pelosi is finally 
talking about uh, impeachment proceedings. And to, and say what you want about Joe Biden, but his fail son, Hunter, is literally about to save the republic from <laughs> Donald Trump by virtue of his Yo, his hold fuckery. my crack pipe. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, Chris, I think you know more about this than I do. How does Hunter Biden play into this Ukraine thing? Oh, is it? I, I mean, I don't know too much about it. It's like at this point, I'm really tuning out of a lot of like the the, the, the nonsense that's going on with like uh, the impeachment stuff. Because like, you know, you could have impeached Trump like every day, every like day every day there would be like, a new impeachment <laughs> clauses, like, you know, just a ton of ton of reasons. But this one comes down to, I guess, Hunter Biden who um, had, you know, sometime between getting addicted and coming off of crack cocaine, sometime between, um, you know, uh, marrying his dead brother's uh, ex-wife, um, had been involved... Which is a biblical commandment, by the way. Yeah, it's true. To be fair, the Bible does command us to marry our dead brother's wives. Mitzvah. Um, but <laughs> he, he had this... Uh, he, like crazy lucrative deal with some like oil or, or gas company as like a consultant. He was making some crazy amount of money. And um, there was apparently some type of like shady dealings that Trump thought were going on. And so now the president of Ukraine who played the president of Ukraine on Ukrainian TV. Hmm. I wonder if this reminds me of anybody. Right. So like him and Trump are like, you know, like, you know, they, they, they are on the same wavelength. Like yeah. TV presidents. Yeah. TV yeah. presidents. Yeah. So allegedly on a call uh, between Trump and the Ukrainian president, uh, Trump tried to pressure the Ukrainian president to look into whether or not um, Hunter Biden had done any illicit activity or something along those lines in exchange for arms like support like financial uh support for like well you it's know. the support that we've been sending to ukraine since russia invaded them way yeah. back in back when the world was almost normal yeah. like yeah so it's withholding like funds that are already federally allocated to ukraine yeah. is that the part that's impeachable i because honestly so i don't really even know what part it's of this that, is impeachable it, as far as i understand it it's that but it's also under the it's election collusion right i don't know no so there's also the the whistleblowers act so it was somebody from i don't know the state department or something who tried to blow the whistle on this phone call oh yeah, yeah that yeah. trump made yeah so this conversation that he had um with the president of ukraine um a whistleblower made a complaint and that complaint has been was withheld from con from Congress. So, which Trump says is not his doing, but come on, we know it is. And then this, ha so this whistleblower complaint being withheld happened just shortly after he ordered his staff to freeze more than three hundred ninety one million dollars in aid to Ukraine. So mm -hmm. that's apparently, I think it's probably the combination of those two things. But like. Like you were saying, there have been a mil every single day for the last however many 70,000 years that Trump has been president. <laughs> he has done something that has, you know, in one way or another been an impeachable offense. And it's only when he withholds uh, precious, precious guns from a strategic uh, ally in the region that anyone really And tries to hurt our beautiful boy Biden. Yes. Like. Well, we should protect Hunter at all costs. That I agree with. Uh, he's a national treasure. He's a national treasure. He he wants to protect the uh, the country's divorcees and like you know like maybe fix that uh, socket in your dining room that isn't working. He'd like to help you with that, you know, because 
Not for anything, you know, just because, you know, he, know, he knows those skills and he might as well put them to good use. And maybe if he could sleep on your couch just for like a couple of nights. Just a couple of nights. Yeah. I'll pay for your Netflix for the month. Just let me. You can use my HBO Now subscription. I'll just leave it there. I'll leave it signed in into your Roku <laughs> and we'll leave. It can be on up to five devices. It can be so... up to five devices. And I've only, I think I'm on one, two, three. No, she, she was a bitch. Two devices. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Hunter's a helpful guy. Probably makes him happy. Because according to some recent scholarly work, helping people can actually make you really happy. It's true. At first when I heard about this, I was like, oh, good, more uh, research that doesn't need to be done. Uh, Because, like, uh, liberals need scientists to tell them about their own feelings. Uh, it's like how i usually see like all science journalism on npr is just like that thing that you know intuitively to be true is now confirmed through a hundred thousand dollars worth of nsf money Uh, and they're like oh good okay i do actually feel that way but you know now that i think about it i really wish that this was all scientific research was just like how can we make each other as happy as possible yeah Yeah. i'm down with that yeah i will stand that idea till the end of time yeah so this is actually recent uh research coming out of yale university that has found that um, even basic politeness can help decrease stress levels. People who are uh, more polite and kind have lower levels of cortisol. They have higher levels of, of endorphins and oxytocin. So they're like very, they're very physiological elements of the kind of kindness equation. And I find this to be very true for myself. Like if I have a super pleasant interaction with it, particularly gratifying in my experience is a very pleasant interaction with a stranger Mm. that can like make my whole day great. If I just like talk to a really nice person in a bodega or have like a really nice back and forth on Reddit or something. Uh, I had somebody like send me a really nice DM the other day that was just like, it was very innocuous. It was not like, you know, just somebody on Twitter DM'd me to say they liked something that I wrote. And it like totally made my whole day. Um, those are people being nice to me. But I also sometimes feel good if I'm nice to somebody else, whatever. Yeah, I've been uh, tabling uh, <laughs> recently down at uh, the, the uh, Troy Farmer's Market. Recently? You've been doing that forever. Uh, well, this summer. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I was doing it once a month. I probably did it like six times-ish. So not quite the summer, but, you know, the outdoor season uh, of the uh troy farmers market on behalf of uh, troy bike rescue which is a rad organization um so in troy uh new york we have this uh bicycle kitchen kind of space where people can come and work on their bicycles and they can donate bicycles they don't want anymore and if they need a bicycle they can show up and either get a bicycle for free uh by you know helping around the shop and uh building one up from you know, spare parts or, you know, for very, very low sliding scale donation, instantly adopting a bike put together by other volunteers. And um, it's been a real pleasure because like you were saying, uh, it really makes you happy to be able to just be pleasant to people. So I would just sit there at the market, you know, have a nice coffee and uh, just sort of smile at people as they walked by. Some people would stop by with their bikes. I'd fix a couple of flats, give some people, uh, you know, some tips on how to um, uh, fit their bike to their body and you know, it was just like only positive vibes. Yeah. And yeah, it was really, really great. So one of the things I miss most about working in hospitality is just that like having like consistent, regular, uh, like positive interactions with people. I mean, you also get a lot of negative interactions, but 
I think the good far outweighs the bad. So for the study, participants were asked to track how often they performed pro-social behaviors every day over a two-week period. Performing behaviors as simple as asking someone if they need help or opening the door for someone led participants to rate their mood as more positive when compared to days when they were not as helpful. And then other studies also show that uh, people who volunteer reap significantly greater benefits. So for example, uh, people 55 and older who volunteer for two or more organizations are less likely to die early, a staggering 44% less likely. I wonder how much of that is accounted for, like just people who can literally afford to volunteer their labor. Yeah. Right? Like sure. if you're there, working yeah. yourself to death as a Oh, actually, a um, so a study for income? A study published in Health Psychology found that people who volunteer with some regularity live longer, but these benefits were seen only if they were volunteering to truly help others rather than to make themselves feel better or look good to others. Ah, so it comes down In other to words, that their motives, yeah. yeah, their motives had to be altruistic rather than self-serving. Interesting. So I guess if I volunteer at the Humane Society just so I can play with kittens, that's not going to make me live to 100. Well, I don't know. That might make you happy. <laughs> yeah, real happy. Oh, what does that do then for all those uh, cast hours that I had to do in IB in high school? Oh, fucking cat. You know how long it's been since I thought of cast hours? That's a, that's a deep cut. For yeah. You know, just like, you know, like in, uh, you know, or just like, you know, like in grade school where you, you'd have these various uh, reasons to like, you know, if you're some obnoxious striver student like we were, you know, you had to put in I was, a, I was not a striver. Hours. I was a slacker. Don't you go besmirching my good name on the pod. <laughs> you, and you, I, were, you were for a while. You were a striver. Yeah. But, yeah. But I think this points... Then you made the right decision. (laughs) I I think this points to, um, you know, something that we've talked about before, which is just, you know, liberating people from the economic necessity of having to grind so hard for their basic survival um, and having time to do things like volunteer or just, you know, relax and talk with their neighbor or whatever and, you know, help them out around, you know, in their garden whenever they need a hand. That, like, this will truly raise the level of vibes you know like the 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 subjective well-being of our entire society on an individual basis um and if it takes a spreadsheet and a phd to convince people that you know making time to help others uh it will make them uh feel better then like i'm all for it like that's great sure you know, like, I think that we need to, to, to do that um, as much as possible, both for our individual, um, you know, reasons of being able to be happy. And also, you know, being helped makes you happy, too. Yeah. You know, like, especially, you know, if, if you really need it. Like, whenever I see people who are panhandling, if I have money on me, I will almost always give it to them. Yeah, me too. And There it, used to be this guy in downtown Troy who uh, would panhandle and... He and I had had like several times we had had really like interesting conversations. Like once he saw my tattoo, which has a quote from a book called The Prophet. And he was asking me about my tattoo and I was telling him about this book and he, we were talking about books that we like and stuff. And this had happened a few times. And every time he would ask me for money, it, I don't think that he realized that like he and I had talked before. Yeah. And then this one time he came up to us, we were right outside of... Uh, beer garden and he came up and he asked for money and I was like oh hey yeah and and I was like I was talking to you the other day and he immediately shut down and he was like I'm sorry 
And he started kind of like scurrying away because I guess maybe he thought I was going to be like mad at him that he had already asked me for yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't. I was just going to be like, hey, but, how's yeah. that book that you're reading? You know? But I, so I love was, human asking me for money. Like, I think you're a human. Yeah. And I and you asked for money, I'm going to give it to you. We just watched this uh, King of the Hill episode where Bobby becomes a panhandler because he sees some really cool panhandlers and he wants to be like them. It was a pretty funny episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's one I, of those m- many instances where Hank Hill is like, Bobby, you, you gotta work. Damn you it, know? Bobby. Yeah, or, you know, like, work <laughs> breeds morality. It's yeah. Like, but to, to get back to the wildflowers, though, I would say that, you know, that um, we'll know we're in a really good society when the definition of work and volunteering are don't make sense. Right. The, the, the distinction su- yeah the distinction between them yeah it's either synonymous or really even better it just know. doesn't make sense uh, i don't know about th- well i i see the point you're trying to make but i i will say that like i don't know maybe i don't actually have a problem with that or, or i guess like it won't make sense in the sense that we right now see like you have a job and the job is connected to your identity and your identity and your work and the way that you feed yourself are all like really tightly connected Mm -hmm. and then there's this other thing that you do completely altruistically called volunteering that usually gets seen as like an add-on even though a lot of people find it to be probably some of the most rewarding and important stuff that they do right uh and i think that breaking up the all of those things i think i I think will be really really good yeah i mean making human interactions a little less transactional I think is a really great thing to shoot for. Brittany, do you think the thing that's bothering you is the difference between Gemeinschaft and Gesellschaft? Yes. Yeah, like, so, like, we're talking about... Yes, I absolutely about... think that's the thing that's bothering me yeah, about it. Yeah, so, like, we're talking... Can ta- you explain? Yeah, so, uh, um... Oh, I always get, get them mixed up. Gemeinschaft and Gesellschaft are... It's... it's they, they, they come out of, like... We talk about this in the community essay, which we talked about a few episodes back, but they come out of a sort of German sociological tradition that views... Uh, Community and society is existing on two ends of a spectrum. And you have Gemeinschaft, which is, uh, correlates to community, and Gesellschaft, which correlates to society. The way that I always remember those, David, is Gemein is mine. Uh-huh. So it's my community, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And Gesell is society out yeah. there. It has an S in it. Yeah. yeah, and it has an S in it. And it kind of sounds, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and yeah, like volunteering, like... There are certain, if we're going to continue to live in a complex society with complicated manufacturing processes and like waste management and all of that shit, like to me to equate that with or to to muddy the waters between like, you know, trash collection and like making bobbits and whatever else with volunteering, which I see as more of like a communitarian relationship. I don't know. Like there's something about that. I think that we have a very, very, very long ways to go before we come even close to something like that working. Um, And I'm actually not even sure it's necessarily a good thing because I think some of those social distinctions can be useful. Like you can turn off a job, you know, Mm, like you can depending on your job and i've had jobs that you couldn't turn off but like i think they're for a lot of people they really benefit from having a sort of gazelle shaft job where yeah. you go in and you make your bobbits and you go home and now you're not at your job anymore yeah. and the closer you get to a kind of gemeinschaft community-based relationship the harder it becomes to turn that job off at the end of the day because mm. it becomes more intricately interwoven into your 
personal life. Yeah. And if, so you're, if you're really about that life, then it can be really good. Yeah. And a lot of people are really yeah. about that life. I am not really about because mm-hmm. I, I run low on spoons really quickly. Mm, like I yep. have, I only have so much emotional energy that I can, um, I kind of have to hoard it because otherwise, you know, like I'm a performer. So I use up a lot of my kind of emotional energy on that. And yeah, I think some people are really well suited to that. And I think other people aren't. Hmm. I, I was uh, speaking with um, a uh, group of uh, people I'm training some Kung Fu with uh, up at RPI today. Uh, and they were running off early from the uh, uh, training session. And I was like, oh, do you guys got another you know, class or something? And they're like, no, we're, we're engineers without borders. And I was like, fuck yeah. Hopefully we'll all be without borders someday. And then he looked That's at me. That's not quiz- what engineers without borders. <laughs> yeah, he looked at me quizzically and I was like, what? Maybe I misunderstand engineers without borders. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a pretty centrist moderate. I, I don't believe in all that. I'm like, I don't know. Like you believe that people outside your borders are worthy of helping, right? So they're worthy people. So why wouldn't they be worthy of all of the rights and privileges that we, you know, fight and dominate the rest of the world to have for ourselves. And they're like, I got to go. <laughs> yeah. You ju- you, they thought Kung Fu was over, but they were wrong. There was still so much to learn. Yeah. Kung Fu of the mind. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, uh, it feels good to be nice and um, don't discount how much joy it can bring you just to simply be polite to people in your day-to-day comings and goings. And yeah, do it for... Don't do it for selfish reasons because it'll make you feel good because then it doesn't work, according to Yale researchers. You have to do it despite the fact that it will make you feel good. Or it's don't. Like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, or go fuck yourself <laughs> and just be mean to everybody. Well, so we are on Twitter. Ironweeds Pod. We're on Instagram. Ironweeds Pod. We have a Gmail. Ironweeds Pod at, at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, that was going so well. And you can buy us a coffee. At buymeacoffee.com slash ironweeds. And if you buy us a coffee, we will send you some primo bonus content that we are about to record right now. Yeah. And if you review us on the podcast distribution platform of your choice and you take a screenshot of your five or four star review, anything else, get that shit out of here. (laughs) Um, and DM it to us on Twitter or email us at the ironweedspot at gmail.com and I will send you some tasty, tasty content. Really, I guess just like any attention. Just like we're bartering attention for content, which is really, yeah. I guess, all the internet ever is. But, yeah. you know, it's basically spreading attention yeah. and content around in a circle. And we'd like to uh, share that circle with you. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.